but it's a one of a kind. You can't replicate that here. For as bad as it sounds, I do enjoy a little bit of Christmas here, but I enjoyed the Christmas over there more because it was different. You can't do that anywhere else. Welcome to the podcast where we track down Australian war veterans, have a chat with them and hear their stories. I'm Alex Lloyd and this is Life on the Line. The single greatest sacrifice I've made is my family. There were a couple of public beheadings. In order to kill me, you've got to be a little bit angry. Not psychotic, but just angry. We could look down Frankfurt and see it on fire. Stuff blowing up everywhere. There will be no surrender. And then they had to fight an enemy in amongst we got children. 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 I could never not go back. They were my friends and they felt the top of us. She did say, you've changed. Soldier put everything on the line to help one of our blokes. I'm Sharon Maskeldare and you're listening to Life on the Line. This podcast is a special episode with veterans from our third season sharing their stories of Christmas in uniform. For some of these veterans, Christmas was a joyful time with their comrades. For others, it was a difficult time away from their families. In some cases, it was just another day where relentless conflict allowed no respite. This is Christmas on the Line. Bob Semple was part of an artillery gun crew in World War II. Before taking the fight to Tobruk, he had a memorable Christmas in Palestine in 1940, which he shared with Alex Lloyd. Tell me about your Christmas experience in 1940, because that would be your first time away from home. Very wet one. Wet one? Very wet one. Tell me more. (laughs) Yes, we naturally had dug slit trenches round about the here, there and everywhere for a certain amount of protection. I don't think there was any aeroplane in existence or that far and I was down anyhow to, to reach us apart from anything else. But, uh, yeah, it was very wet. We were reason- we had a reasonable Christmas. We made our own fun and we had a very, very good unit support group of mums and dads and girlfriends and so forth. A comforts fund and all that helped to augment the rations. But it was, other than being very wet and... Uh, not very inviting at all. Miserable, to be perfectly honest. Aaron Davis was an infantryman in 6RAR. After a hairy Christmas Eve in Timor, the beer he was issued the next day had never tasted better. Were you in Timor for Christmas? Oh, yes. Uh, we're in a sunny place called uh, Suai, down on the southwestern side from memory. All of Alpha Company were down there, again, chasing a Frater Renato through this area. Being uh, Christmas Eve, one platoon got stuck with a fantastic job of doing a VCP out towards the border. So we had to stop AR and his boys coming in and going. Uh, So we sat on a VCP for about 18 hours in the rain. It was horrible. It's not something that uh, the recruiters tell you. When you first enlist, they're good at painting the rosy picture. They don't tell you the type of mud that you'll be going through and what sort of tasks that you'll be doing. But Christmas Day rolls around and then we get to come into our makeshift patrol base to come in and have two beers and have some to eat. That's generous too. Ah, they were the best two VBs I'd ever have. I don't like VB being from Melbourne. I just don't like it. Don't like the taste. But those two VBs were the best especially being able to share it with the section that I was with. It just tastes so sweet. 
It was great. Bob Ray told Angus Horden how that in Vietnam, many weren't particularly concerned about the religious aspect of the holiday. Bob, can you remember Christmas in Vietnam? The fleet chaplain, Chaplain Mother, turned up for Christmas Day at Becker. I remember him trying to uh, introduce some religious aspects to the event, but the lads weren't really interested. <laughs> All they wanted was a beer. <laughs> Dan Kieran VC had his first Christmas away from home on deployment in Timor. Did you spend Christmas in Timor? Did actually, yep. I've got a great photo somewhere of the ridiculous looking hat on. Again, as a first time away from family and friends. So for that side of it, I mean, that's what you don't often hear. We don't often, I suppose, speak about that is the effects it had on your family when you're away for significant events or birthdays or times like Christmas. So it was, for me, it was good. Uh, it was good to be away on, on operations, but it was, that's the reality a lot of people don't understand is the families are doing it tough back home as well. Jodie Farmer had a number of Christmases away from home, including at sea. Did you ever have a Christmas in uniform? Some of my Christmas I'm fairly blessed with having them at home with my family. But Christmases at sea are also pretty special because you get to spend them with your second family. You know, the captain dresses up as Santa and we go around and do secret Santa or they build temporary pool out on the quarter deck using shoring, like wooden shoring and tarps and stuff. So we have a really good feed. and Beer issue? Uh, well, it depends on what the threat is. If the threats are medium or high, then definitely not. Not a beer issue because the game, the game could be on at any point. I think one, maybe one Christmas we might have had a beer issue. Uh, I don't drink at sea though, so someone else can have mine. <laughs> How many Christmases then have you had at sea? I'm up to six. So six in what, almost 11 years. That's quite significant, but I suppose the family are just used to it now. Obviously, it, it's not nice when you don't get to be around your family at Christmas, but that's the that's conditions life at of sea. Yeah, that's right. And signing on that dotted line means that the mission takes precedence. So, for Alistair Bridges, the endless helicopter flights he performed in Vietnam made his Christmas entirely forgettable. Were you in Vietnam over Christmas? Yes. Was it a fun Christmas or? A working one. Well, I'll just go back to the Melbourne Cup, if I could, before that. I heard the Melbourne Cup on our HF radio while we were flying operations. <laughs> so that's how we used to do it. Did you have a bat? Oh, yes, we all did, yes. Did you win? I don't think I did from memory, no. Not very good with those. Christmas, I don't really have much of a recollection. It was just another day. Christmas, New Year, uh, we didn't do anything special. They may have put on a bit of food for us, but I honestly don't remember any of that at all. No, I think... You know, Christmas, we'd been doing it a bit tough and uh, relaxation was sort of, well, there wasn't any real way to relax. So. No, I, I don't recall. Like Alastair, SAS team commander Harry Moffat found that many significant occasions, including Christmas, could be overlooked during intense operational deployments. Did you have any Christmases on deployment? Yeah, lots, yep. Any particular ones that stand out to you? Not that I can talk about, but um, Christmas, birthdays, kind of all blur and fade and days fade. They just come and go. We, when you're deployed, we're on 24-7. Particularly as team leaders, you're either sleeping, planning or on the job. That's probably you go from your bed to your gun to your computer. Any downtime spent planning for the next mission. And we're a very proactive organisation. You're thinking about plans, how to do, intercept the enemy and coming up with concepts of operations and then presenting them to the administration, you know, the officers and operations centres and the command. And that's where a lot of our wins come from. They, they're driven from us. They're not driven from uh, top, top down. We kind of ask for a bit of social, if you like, resilience. We select for that. We want someone who's 
hopefully has a family, potentially established, has been through the mortgage, bought their car and whatnot. You know, they've had some, they've had that kind of a bit more mature. We're just busy and it just never stops. I, I was so, when I left the unit a couple of years ago, I felt like a massive load had been taken off. In fact, I struggled for the first few months after I left the unit, a bit of identity loss and whatnot. Just the loss of that ever-present pressure, not to perform, but to support the unit. Bob Semple survived Tobruk to enjoy another Christmas in Palestine in 1941. How was that second Christmas in Palestine in 1941? Paradise. <laughs> Not as wet as 1940? <laughs> Didn't seem to be. <laughs> I imagine it was paradise having just left the trenches of Tobruk. And <laughs> did you get a good meal or any... Um... Oh, yes, yes, yes. By that time, different language altogether, yes. Any alcohol rations? Uh, very skimpy. <laughs> we got a bit of leave. Drunk on freedom. <laughs> What about 1942, your third Christmas away from home, and now you've survived Tobruk and El Alamein? Yeah. How was that Christmas compared to the other two? Oh, terrific. We knew we were coming home. Dr Ajitha Sugnanam is a dentist in the Royal Australian Air Force. She has happy memories of her Christmas during her deployment to Afghanistan. Do you remember your Christmas in Afghanistan? I do. We were fortunate enough to receive a ridiculous amount of care packages from people from Australia and the Australian commander had promoted like a Christmas lunch and the Americans did it in all their messes. So the public affairs guys took videos of everyone so they could send it back home. Definitely a lot of support. Yeah, because that's a real great service that's on offer through Australia Post that we can just send a care package or a gift to an anonymous ADF serviceman or servicewoman and it goes out to our men and women in the field. So it's great that those packages can reach you in that kind of context and add extra cheer for the holiday season. Oh, they definitely do reach us. And a lot of the times people leave letters in there and write their address and we always write back. And if we can find something in the area, like a little military patch or something, we usually post it back just to give them something and say that it's actually reached us. British Army veteran Geraint Jones had a memorable Christmas in Afghanistan in 2009, which he celebrated with his brothers-in-arms. But as challenging as the situation was in Helmand province, Santa could still reach you. Tell me about your 2009 Christmas in Afghanistan. Oh, man, I was like, I've, I've had a couple of Christmases away. I mean, a lot more when I did private security too. And you know what? Like Christmas, if you've got good people around you, cliche, but that is what all that matters. We were like in one of the smaller kind of like satellite checkpoints for it. So we had like pretty much no bullshit for it, which was awesome. Not so much at the main company. They had to go through like a, you know, they had to go through like a lot of bullshit. And there's like little moments that stick out. Like one of the sergeants, he'd had someone send him out like a full Santa outfit. So he was driving around in his warrior in a Santa outfit with a beard on and everything underneath his uh, helmet. And then he had tinsel wrapped around the barrel, <laughs> a barrel of the warrior. <laughs> and that was just, that was kind of cool. You know, all that stuff. Brought us ammunition and water. As we say, ammo and water, all you need for slaughter. Soldier's dream present, bring me some lovely 7.62 millimeter liners of ammo. And it's always fun to be in a place like that as well, because it's like, there's a lot of days when you're on tour, but you can't stick a date to it or anything like that, right? Whereas a Christmas day or whatever, it's a very clear memory that you can lodge in your mind and you can go back to and you can remember sitting around with a boy. Because I mean, things you sit around with the boys and have a brew and a laugh every day, but it's the Christmas days and stuff that you remember because it's Christmas day. You get to break regulations, put a Santa hat on. Yeah, I mean, I think we've already established that I was a bit of a shithead and that I didn't like following the orders and stuff like that. And 
Yeah, I had a Santa hat. I'd actually gone a step further in Iraq. In Iraq, I'd stretched one over my helmet so that I could actually patrol with it. <laughs> <laughs> Out in Afghanistan, it was just um, just on my bonds. But it was nice, you know, like a uh, soaring Christmas with the boys. May have had a little bit of alcohol snuck out to us in mail. And it's nice, dude, sitting around watching different patrol bases launch illumination rounds and having a nice bit of a buzz on going on from your Jack and Coke. It's pretty good. It's good times. Did you get a Christmas dinner? Uh, I had a ration pack, which had some chicken in it, which was pretty close. And some herb dumplings. We ran out of fuel at the patrol base. This is not our little subsection. So our little subsection, we had, um, you know, we used wood to make ourselves a fire. But at the uh, main patrol base, because they were tidying up for a general's visit, they got rid of all this stuff that the lads were using to cook in, like, you know, old ammo tins they were using to cook out of. They didn't realize that they'd run out of um, the hexman blocks that you used to cook your ration packs. So the, the lads up there had nice cold rations for Christmas. Royal Australian Navy veteran and Australian War Memorial historian Dr David Stevens told Angus Horden the Christmas story from the First World War. Can you share a particular naval Christmas story, please? Yes, certainly. I think the most interesting I found was HMAS Pioneer when she was off East Africa. On Christmas Day in 1915, she was actually just off the German East African coast and she went into a port as they did to determine if there were any German ships there that they could um, destroy. But because it was Christmas, she actually went in close and had her band playing on the upper deck and the Germans from the town actually came out and enjoyed the concert as well. So it was a very interesting thing that on one day she could be in there blowing up a ship or looking for um, something else that she, destruction she could cause. And another, she could go in there, have the band playing and have citizens from the enemy country listening in happily. Well, David, that's interesting because that had happened on the Western Front in the first Christmas in 1914. But I wasn't aware of yours in 1915. No, it's one of those things that you only find out because of the diaries at the time. It's not because there was an official report or it was ever reported back. Aaron Davis's second Christmas away from home in Iraq was a pretty jolly affair with large thanks to the Americans. Tell me about your second Christmas away from home. <laughs> so we'd only been in Iraq for a couple of couple of weeks. We are in Camp Tarandak, which is a small base within a big base of Talil. So Tarandak was the Australian base. That's where all of our Bushmasters and all Aussies were situated. So for the day, we had games sorted out. So God knows what, I can't remember what type of games there were, but there was just, it just seemed like a fun day. My roommate at the time, uh, Michael Welsh, we went to the DFAC, so the dining facility, to get Christmas lunch. And I've got photos of it. And every time I look at those photos, I go, yeah, that was good. They put on a full spread. The Americans put on a huge spread. They put on seafood, all the meats that you can think of. Go in, help yourself, guys. So to be amongst Americans and all the, all the nations that were there to help yourselves, like, it was mind-boggling. Absolutely mind-boggling. Then to go back to Camp Tarandak to do all the Aussie games, play cricket, footy, touch footy, all the codes of football. But there is a photo of diggers with goggles on. They're jousting on sticks, uh, jousting on bikes with, with the crowd around them. That was our trip. I'm in the photo there somewhere. I remember that. And I chuckle about it. And every now and then when that photo comes up, I get another chuckle out of it. It's a photo that keeps on giving. What was the climate like then? Cold, muddy, wet but really cold. You're getting a Northern Hemisphere Christmas with Americans, but some traditional Aussie stuff thrown in there to really yeah. make it a multicultural experience. For oh, you. if you want diversity and things like that, yeah, that was, it was a big mashup of it. But 
it's a one of a kind. You can't replicate that here. For as bad as it sounds, I do enjoy a little bit of Christmas here, but I enjoyed the Christmas over there more because it was different. You can't do that anywhere else. Bob Semple endured a long, long war. After fighting at Tobruk and Al Alamein, his battalion was sent to New Guinea to fight the Japanese. He had a particularly grim Christmas in 1943. This story was also featured in his solo episode. And you were chasing the Japanese until March 1944. But before we come home, tell me about your fourth Christmas away in World War II, Christmas 1943. That was fairly hollow sort of a thing, a, a, a no-go a no situation. You're just in action in appalling conditions. It was just another day? Just another day. In conditions hardly varied. It was wet and sticky and mud up to your eyebrows and then you'd run into a kunai patch and it'd be reasonable. But appalling conditions. Donna Watts-Endress missed her family when she had a Christmas in Afghanistan. It turned out to be quite an action-packed day. Well, as you mentioned, Donna, you were in Afghanistan for Christmas. Can you tell me more about that day? For me, being away from family was a big thing. So what we decided to do was we had a lot of guys and girls that were actually stuck at Kandahar with us. So we had a lot of people that were supposed to be transiting up to their base north, but due to the weather and were basically snowed in. So they got to stay with us over Christmas. So myself and um, my fellow people that I was deployed with decided that we would organise a Kris Kringle, make sure everyone got a present. So even the people that were there stranded, we made sure that they had something. So that was really sweet. We all sat on Santa's lap and he gave us our presents, which was really, really good. Had our morning lunch as we in a war zone, our lunch was delayed slightly because we did receive one of our regular rocket attacks and we had to wait in the rocket shelter and we're all like going, hopefully our lamb on the spit would not get ruined because we wanted to make sure we had a nice Christmas lunch that we'd organised. And that was one thing the Australians do well. As you know, we're not allowed to drink when we're on deployment, so we were allowed our two drinks on Christmas Day, which we'd all saved up for. But also for me, being a mum was a really difficult time. So I woke up early so that I could try and see my daughters open their presents on the old uh, MSN. Unfortunately, the video link wasn't the best, but I did get to speak to my daughters on Christmas morning as they opened up their gifts. So that was probably the hardest part of my deployment for me as a mum, missing out on my two-year-old and my almost seven-year-old by then opening up their Christmas presents. But I was there with them as much as I could be. And the lamb was safe. And the lamb was safe. That is, a, <laughs> that is the lamb was safe and it was a delicious lunch. So it was fantastic. That was Christmas on the Line 2019. Be sure to listen to the individual episodes from earlier this year. All details are in the episode description and on our website. In December 2018, we also released the first volume of Christmas on the Line, featuring those stories from veterans of Season 2. Find this podcast on social media by searching Life on the Line on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Our website is www.lifeonthelinepodcast.com. And if you liked this podcast, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Life on the Line is brought to you by Thistle Productions. I'm Sharon Maskeldare, on behalf of the team, wishing you all a Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.